Welcome to Bethel's Rock Online. Thank you for joining us. My name is Pastor Zach. I, I want you to think about this morning. Have you ever had a, a friend, an acquaintance, a person in your life where if you're honest, you didn't actually like them all that much, but you, you liked something that they had access to. And, and so it made you more likely to kind of keep them around. And maybe you're thinking like, well, yeah, I mean, that guy, he was he was so boring and, uh, you know, he just never had anything to talk about, but that lake house, you know, that lake house was pretty impressive and makes you, makes you look past a lot of those other things. Or, or maybe it was a lady and, you know, oh man, she was so judgy and she was always talking about everyone behind their back. And who knows what she said about me when I wasn't there, but when I was with her, you know, she wasn't saying those things and, uh, you know, she tended to buy a lot of stuff for me and I liked that. My guess is we've all had someone like that in our life before. You're like, I'm not going to admit it because it makes me feel or sound like a terrible person. But, but we've, we've been there before where, where we didn't necessarily like the person all that much, care for the person, but we loved what they, they allowed us access to or gave us access of. I, I wonder, if I'm being honest, I wonder how much, how often that same mindset applies to my relationship with God. Like, how, how much do I really desire, how much do I want God for God himself? Or how much, how often do I get wrapped up in, in just wanting the things that he can give me, the, the prayer requests that he can grant, the stuff that he can uh, give me access to? And of, of course, none of you ever deal with this. I would never dream to insinuate that uh, this is something that you deal with in your relationship with God also. I'm sure this is just a problem that pastors have. But, but we have to think about that. Like how, how much are we enticed by what God can do for us versus how much are we enticed by God himself? Do you know that, that you and I, that we have as much of God as we want? We do. We have as much of God as we want. And, and we come up with all these different excuses as to, to why that's not the case. But when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, you had 24 hours, I had 24 hours. And if you break it down, we had the same amount of time. But what we prioritize, what we spend that time on, reveals the things that we actually value. If I were to break down your weekly schedule and categorize how you spent your time, it becomes readily apparent the things that you actually value in your life. And what happens is there's usually this pretty big gap. Here's the things that we actually value. Here's the things that we actually spend time on. And then there's this gap. And then here's the things we wish we spent time on. These are the things that we wish we valued. And we, for some reason, we have this idea or this perception of, of, of what this thing would be like. And it's like, oh, I'd love it if I, I was that kind of a person. Or I'd love it if I, I spent my, my time on that. Let me give you an example. I love bread. Bread is my, my favorite food. And uh, I, I am, hands down, I'll beat any of you in a bread eating contest. I am convinced that God designed my body to crave and consume gluten. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, one of the nine circles of hell from Dante's Inferno was a gluten-free diet. And uh, so, but also, uh, I love bread, but also I'm a very frugal person. And I'm kind of a minimalist too, so I don't like a lot of extra stuff around. I especially don't like excess appliances uh, in, in the kitchen. But my love for bread overtook all these other things and, and I went out and bought a bread maker. 
And I, I didn't want just one of these basic, you know, bread makers. Like I wanted one of the bougie ones, you know, like one of the, like the really, the really fancy ones. And so I went out and got one and I had this vision of what it was going to be like. You know, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd, I'd put all the ingredients inside this bread maker. I'd go to work. I'd come home, uh, throw my briefcase on the couch, even though I don't have a briefcase, and the, the smell of bread would be wafting throughout the house. Here's the thing, I don't like to cook. And, and so I had this vision of what I wanted to be like, but I bought this bread maker, I used it a handful of times, and since then, it sat on a shelf and it is covered in dust. It, it, it speaks for itself, and so I, I liked the idea of it, I wish that I valued it more, but the dust on top of it shows that I didn't actually care about it. You and I have as much of God as we want. And we might wish that we wanted more of God, but our time, our priorities, and our values, they actually speak for themselves. Well, Zach, you, you just don't know how busy I am. You, know, you, you just don't understand my schedule. And you know what? I, I think that God has a pretty good handle of what we spend our time on and why we spend our time on those things. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I, don't, I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to you know, give yourself a, a pep talk and be like, okay, I'm gonna try harder, I'm gonna spend more time with God, I'm gonna do this and this and this. Because guilt is such a superficial motivator. It doesn't last long-term. What I wanted to do is I wanted to elicit the honest questions where we actually get to the root of some of these issues and we ask honest questions and we look for honest questions. Why is it that I don't want more of God in my life? Why am I more interested in creation instead of the creator? Why do I have this flawed view of God that makes me desire earth more than heaven? Why am I more interested in the gifts instead of the giver? There's a Bible story that I think really gets to the heart of this issue, and it's found in the book of Judges. It's a fan favorite, an Old Testament classic. And uh, this man, this character in the Bible, he was the, the Bible Day equivalent of the Hulk. You've probably heard of him before. His name is Samson, and he was known for his superhuman strength. When we think of Samson, right away these images come to our mind of this, this massive, bodybuilder type person, you know, I mean, just huge and strong, you know, muscles can barely be contained um, by his clothing. I know I, I probably look pretty similar to him is what you're thinking. And, uh, but this is what we know him for. But the, here's the thing, the Bible doesn't actually mention anything about his, his features, his size, or his look. We are so used to the, the drawings and, and these cartoons and the different depictions uh, of that we've seen of Samson. And, and that has made us think that he's just this huge guy because we see these amazing physical feats of strength that Samson did. And we just have to assume, we, we equate, well, if he was able to do that, then he must have been you know, this big in size. But Samson wasn't some freak athlete. You know, he, he wasn't sponsored by Nike to, to train day in and day out to push the human limits of, of what the, the human body can accomplish. That, that wasn't what Samson was doing. And so in the Bible, there's actually no indication that Samson was anything different than just a normal-looking, average-sized guy. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context of the story here. Because at this time, the Israelites, God's chosen people, 
they were uh, disobedient, which is kind of par for the course if you've read the Old Testament before. And so God allows the Israelites to be taken over by the Philistines for, for 40 years. And so the Israelites, they are not in a position of power at all. And an angel comes and visits an Israelite, Manoah's wife. And, and this angel says, hey, uh, you're, you're barren currently, but you're actually going to conceive a son. And the, your son is going to be a Nazarite and uh, no razor should ever touch his head. And God is going to use your son to begin to deliver the Israelites out of uh, slavery and oppression from under the Philistines. And so Samson, before he was even born, God had a purpose for him to fulfill. And a Nazarite, what that meant was, it meant that they were set apart, that they were dedicated to serving God for their lives. And with it came some, some extra guidelines. It's not all that different um, from some of the, the vows that we take as pastors. A term that we use is, is above reproach. We want to not give people any reason to doubt or, or question our character or mistrust us. So there's certain things that we just cut out of our life um, for that reason. And so part of the Nazarite vow was that they were to abstain from alcohol or anything fermented. They were not supposed to touch or be in contact with anything dead because it would make them ceremonially unclean and they would have to go through this process to get to the point where they were considered clean again. And as I mentioned before, he was not to have his hair cut. We don't know a whole lot about Samson's earlier years. We know that he grew up and the Bible says that the Lord blessed him. So we get to Judges, and this story is found in Judges chapters 13 through 16. It's four chapters long, and, and I'm telling you, you've got to read this in its entirety for yourself. When, when people say that the Bible's boring, I, I laugh and I think, like, have, have you actually read the Bible, or are you just repeating a one-liner that somebody else said, and now you're just using it as your own? Because in, in these four chapters alone, we have war, we have an angel, we have a lion, we've got riddles, 300 foxes, a thousand men are killed with the donkey's jawbone, we've got prostitutes, deception, torture, revenge, uh, anything you can possibly imagine that would make for an entertaining book, TV show, movie is in this story. So Samson, he was not actually very good at following his Nazarite vow. Uh, he was a man who was driven by lust and emotion and selfish desires. Uh, but what I love about it is it's an example of how God still chooses to use us even in all of our many imperfections. And so God began using Samson to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And specifically, we're going to look at three examples of when the Holy Spirit came upon Samson. The Holy Spirit is not just a New Testament thing. We see the activity of the Holy Spirit throughout the entire Bible. Now, the Holy Spirit is characterized slightly different in the Old Testament. Uh, a phrase that you'll see throughout the, Holy, throughout the Old Testament is that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And so the Holy Spirit tended to be much more uh, singular instances in the Old Testament. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus came to earth, he died, he rose again, and uh, he left earth and he sent the Holy Spirit. And so then following Pentecost in the New, in the New Testament, what you and I now experience is an ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit, um, an indwelling. So we get to the first instance of where the Holy Spirit comes upon Samson. It's in Judges chapter 14. Samson goes to this Philistine town. He sees this woman and he's like, okay, th this woman's fine. And he, and he really wants to marry this woman. The problem is she's a Philistine. 
it's not really best practice to marry your enemy. And so Samson's mom and dad, they're trying to talk him out of it. Uh, Samson is really not the most respectful son from what we can tell in this. So we get to chapter 14, verse 5. Listen to this. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. So here we see the trend start. The the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson. And there's this lion that comes and attacks him. And to give you some context, a full-size lion is between usually 300 to 500 pounds. Now, it says that this is, uh, this is a young lion, but lions don't start hunting on their own until they're about two years old. So this lion was probably about three-quarters size, roughly 225 to 375 pounds. So Samson is heading towards this Philistine town, this young lion, Simba, decides that he's going to come and try to attack Samson. And Samson grabs this lion and tears Simba apart and just destroys this lion. And uh, I, I, I laugh when the Bible says, he, t- he tore apart the lion as one would tear apart a young goat. And I'm like, that doesn't help illustrate it better at all. I, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine tearing a young goat apart with my hands either. But it just goes to show you that the crazy acts of strength, that anything is possible through the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they ate too. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. So Samson goes and has an actual interaction with this woman, which is usually a good idea to do before you marry someone. And Samson decides that he does indeed want to marry her. And so Samson leaves, and uh, apparently there's a time gap of a couple of weeks, couple of months, because as Samson is returning, He's, he decides, you know what, I'm going to take a look at that lion carcass that I, I destroyed the other day. And uh, he looks at it and he sees that, that bees have moved in and that there's a swarm of bees and that there's honeycomb. Now, normally I'm pretty good at understanding different perspectives. I usually do a pretty good job of putting myself in somebody else's shoes and trying to think how they think. But not in this instance. Who does this? Like, who looks and says, oh yeah, you see that, that lion carcass? Oh, there's a swarm of bees. Like, I'm going to go scoop me some honey. No, like, I, I don't know what Samson's thinking, but that's exactly what Samson does. And so he goes and scoops some honey out and, uh, and gives some to his parents too. This is not about honey. This is about his Nazarite vow. Remember, he was not supposed to come in contact with anything dead. And so it just shows his disdain for his vow. Now, you might have not taken a Nazarite vow. You might not have taken a pastoral vow. But we've all rejected God's plan for our life at times. Something I think about when it comes to parenting is maybe you were raised this way or maybe you're raising this kids this way. And we, we tell kids, say, hey, you can be anything you want to be. And I believe that that phrase is one of the most well-intentioned and yet damaging statements and environments to raise our kids in. 
Because what it does is it puts the focus on, on them from a really early age. And then they grow up and, and they're bouncing from one thing to the next and they're visionless. And we wonder why. First, we need to teach them to know who they are, that they're a son of God, that they're a daughter of God. But then we, we need to get them to ask the question, just because you can go do anything, what has God created you for? Who has he created you to be? What, what purpose does he, has he specifically designed for you to accomplish? And so we need to get back to those root questions. So we get to the second instance of where the Holy Spirit comes upon Samson. Samson's having a reception feast with his new wife, his guests. And Samson's an interesting guy. He decides, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a riddle. And I'm going to offer a reward for anyone who can answer this riddle. And so Samson says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And so a lot of these Philistine men, they hear this riddle. And they decide, you know, we, we really want to get this reward for it. And so they go and they actually blackmail Samson's new wife into getting the answer for them. And they say, hey, if you don't do this, we're going to burn your house and your father's house to the ground. Really quality wedding guests right there. And so night after night, uh, Samson's new wife begins putting pressure on him, you know, and begging and, and pleading and saying, Samson, you know, if you love me, give, give, me this, uh, give me this answer. And so finally, Samson gives in and he gives her the answer to the riddle. Sure enough, she shares the riddle with these men. And so then the next day, these men approach Samson and they say, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And uh, here's Samson's replies. He says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. That's like real Romeo and Juliet poetry right there. Verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's house. So God uses Samson to openly defy the Philistines. Samson goes to a different Philistine city, kills 30 of the men, strips them of their clothes, brings it back to these other Philistine men, and says, here's your reward for figuring out the riddle. And Samson is furious, and he storms off and goes back to his dad's house. So we now arrive at the third instance of where the Holy Spirit comes upon Samson. Samson's wife is actually given to one of his companions. So Samson goes sometime later to visit his wife, only to find out that, that it's no longer his wife and someone else is now with her. And the woman's father tries to explain, like, Samson, I, I thought that you were so mad with her because she betrayed, betrayed you, and I thought that you hated her, and so I gave her to, to one of your companions. And Samson is fed up. He's like, okay, the, the gloves are off. No more of this back and forth. Well, whatever happens to you people, whatever I do to you people, you brought on yourself. And so Samson, he goes and he catches 300 foxes, 300. You know, you, you think some of his uh, strength feats were impressive. Can you imagine trying to catch 300 foxes? Like he had to have some speed to him as well. And apparently he was some kind of, you know, animal whisperer. And uh, he's weirdly creative. So he gets these foxes and he ties their t pairs of them, their tails together, and then a, a torch in between their tails. And he lights the torches on fire and he sends these pairs of foxes to run through the Philistine grain fields and they're, they're the Philistines' food source and resource and probably a lot of their income and wealth was tied to it is burned to the ground from all of these uh, foxes running through with torches. 
And so Samson, he single-handedly initiates war between himself and the Philistines. Now remember, at this time, the Israelites, they, they were enslaved, basically, oppressed by the Philistines. And so the Israelites go to Samson and they say, Samson, you, you've put us in a really awkward position. Like you, you realize that they're, they're not just going to take out their anger on you. Like they're going to take out their anger on us as well. And so they begin having this dialogue of what's going to be done. And, and they say, Samson, we actually want to give you over to them, almost as this like peace offering so that they'll leave us alone and, and not be so mad at us. And so Samson says, do you, do you agree not to kill me yourselves? And they say, yeah, we're, we're not going to kill you. And he says, okay. So, so he lets the Israelites tie him up and they give him over to the Philistines. And the Bible says that the Philistines were, were shouting. It was like this, this battle cry as, you know, because they thought they had defeated the, the great Samson. Listen to what happens. As he approached Lahai, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone and the place was called Ramath Lahai. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lahai and water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. And so the spring was called En-Hakor and it is still there in Lahai. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So Samson acts as the judge of Israel for the next two decades. And after what Samson did, we get this picture that the, the Philistines probably stopped antagonizing Samson, realized that it was a, a losing battle, that they weren't going to win this. And, uh, and we get this idea that they took a more hands-off approach with the Israelites. But as we go back to Samson, it doesn't end well. Uh, Samson, he allows his lust uh, to overpower his reason. He allows himself to be betrayed by a lady he's sleeping with, Delilah. And remember, part of his Nazarite vow was that a razor was not to touch his head and his hair wasn't supposed to be cut. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. This is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. He did not know that the Lord had left him. You see, Samson was accustomed to God's power, but he was out of tune with the presence of God. He, he was used to the power of God. He was used to the Holy Spirit coming upon him, him having superhuman strength and, and fighting ability. He, he valued God's power. He was in tune with God's power, but he was completely disconnected from God's presence. And, and so Samson, he goes off to fight his enemies like so many times before. And, and I want you to imagine the fear and the panic and the helpless feeling. Think about it. At this point in his life, Samson probably didn't know the, what it felt like to be overpowered. And, and I think of, have you ever had that nightmare where you're running from someone and no matter how hard you try, it feels like you are, you're like running through quicksand 
or, or that you know you're just going in slow motion and as hard as you're trying, your enemy keeps getting closer and closer and closer. Like, like this is probably what Samson felt like. Like he's so used to just throwing people off and he, and he goes and all of a sudden it's like his muscles don't even work. His powers left him and all of a sudden he, he's overpowered and the fear that he must have felt in that moment, I, I can't even imagine. And so the Philistines, they overpower him and they gouge out his eyes. God's power is great. What he can do for us and through us, it's amazing. But what about his presence? Yes, he can empower us with superhuman strength to do miraculous things, but that shouldn't be our pursuit. When we need it, when God desires it, he will empower us as he sees fit. But I want to ask you this question. If the Lord departed from you, would you know it? If so, how, how would you know it? I, I've known so many people and, and originally they were pursuing God for God himself. And what happened is either bitterness came in or busyness took over. And all of a sudden, their relationship with God was characterized by business. Checklists, hey God, I need this. And so they would only go to him when they needed something. And we know that an effective prayer life is built on relationship. But after that relationship began to degrade and dwindle, their ability to discern God's voice in their life started to go away, and probably God's desire to answer their prayers as well, because all of a sudden God began to realize, like, hey, you're no longer actually interested in me. You just, you're just, you only come to me when you need something, just when you want something. And, and soon with those people that I've known, the activity of God becomes unrecognizable in their life. If the Lord departed from you, would you know it? You have to ask, your, ask the question, do you really desire God in your life? The truth is there's so many people and their relationship with God is so dull and so boring that given the choice, they'd choose to continue to live on earth instead of heaven. Like, like heaven isn't paradise for them. It's simply an escape from hell. And the, the draw of what earth has is good enough. And I think even with some people, I'd go so far as to say, if they had the choice to spend eternity with God in heaven versus just having a really good and enjoyable and rich uh, life on earth, but then they can just cease to exist, they would maybe even choose that and be like, well, yeah, you know, that's, that's not so bad. You know, of course, heaven sounds, sounds better than hell, but, you know, I, I got it pretty good here on earth now that I think about it. Too many people, they want a blessed life without God in it. It's like, hey, God, come create these great circumstances. Uh, uh, bless me. Give me great living conditions. But then if you just want to kind of exit the stage, that'd be good. They don't want the source. Samson was in tune with God's power, what God could do for him or through him, but he was disconnected from his presence. His hair wasn't the source of his strength. God was. So how did things change? We talked about Samson. Great. But, but what are you going to do to make this last 30 minutes worth anything? I want you to think about this. Don't ask for his power if you don't want his presence. God doesn't want to be a Santa Claus or a genie in your life where every time you need something, you know, you, you rub the lamp or, or you, you know, make your wish list and you go to God with that. He desires a relationship with you. Do you realize that God has always been pursuing you. He wants a relationship with you. He isn't hiding himself. 
The Bible says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And so if you're wondering how things would look different if you pursued the presence of God in your life, it would be the addition of peace like you've never experienced before. This deep satisfaction and connection regardless of what's going on in your life. Peace isn't the elimination of trouble. It's the presence of God in your life. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you have chosen to pursue us even though we are so flawed. And we thank you that you choose to use us through our imperfections. God, give us a desire for you. Help us to understand who you are and how amazing you are, that you are literally the creator of the universe. Help us to be drawn in through that. God, we desire your presence in a deep way. And we are going to begin to change our mindset and no longer treat you like the Santa Claus in our life or this genie, but we are going to begin seeking you for who you are because you are amazing. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen, and uh, I hope that you have a blessed day, and thank you so much for joining us online.